Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And so the ideas that we were pitching, that I was pitching to read, were all over the place, but they had common denominators. Like one of them was a personalized shampoo. <laughs> Don't you laugh. This is a genius idea. No, I mean, it's a genius idea. How long have you been doing the public appearances, going out and doing like speeches and interviews? Is I've been it- doing the keynote stuff for about four or five years. Okay. And uh, and 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 I've been you know being a mentor for. You know, help help working with people for fifteen years. Yeah. So the book falls in the middle, because with the mentoring, I can take two people and dramatically change the arc of their life. Yeah. Because I'm spending thousand hours with them, and yeah. with a keynote, I can take two five thousand people and move them a little bit. Mm. And the book, I get nine or ten hours with somebody. So yeah. I could, you know, so it's kind of a. But you a, reach more people. Yeah, I guess so. It's like a scale thing. Yeah, yeah. With, I mean, a speech you you reach a lot of people, but you yeah. don't get very much time with it. But a book is more pretty compelling. That's why I mm. did the book. But yeah, I've been so I've been doing the speaking for four or five years, and that's yeah. more of a. I mean, I backed into it. Um, I do it because it's so interesting getting good at it. Mm. Being a good public speaker is so bottomless. Yeah, I mean, you think you get. Um, I consider myself a good amateur. And I consider myself a mediocre to poor professional. <laughs> but it's infinite how much better you can get. There's and no ceiling, right? It, it's, what's that? There's, there's no, no ceiling because it's like an art. Like you can make them laugh. And there's so many different styles, you know? And it's, it's voice. It's mostly story. It's yeah. how you connect and um, how you emotionally connect and how you can. It's really a complicated thing of using yeah. all these tools combined with the story and how you time it and how you use your looking at things. And then you go, okay, now I can, I can connect with, you know, easy to do one person. Yeah. Because you, you're re- playing off it. And it's possible to do 10, and it's pretty a easy group, to do 100. Yeah. And 1,000 is hard, mm. really hard. And then 10,000, I can't do. Right. I mean, I, I do, but I don't, it doesn't work very well. I haven't figured out how to do that. And you watch the people who do it to 40,000, you know, they fill a stadium. Huh. And they get people crying and all that. You go, holy <laughs> it's, it's like not already. I yet. have a lot to learn. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess the part of that is like it's 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 almost hard though because like you're almost trying to please, you're trying to make everyone connect with you, which is it's almost impossible. No, like someone's gonna be, someone's gonna have some opinion that they may not like about one speech. Yeah, we don't have forty thousand. But hundred percent doesn't mean you. If you get ninety eight percent or ninety percent, it's still great. Yeah, it yes. doesn't need to be everybody. Yeah, so but you're, you're really trying to get. Some people, you know, in anything, this, this, for the work that I do, the work that I do, yeah, which is... start or... Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Which right. we can cut this in if we have, no, we'll make if it we have raw. flat spots later. Yeah, we'll, we'll make it raw. Um, all right, so let, let me give you a formal introduction. Yeah. Uh, so before we, I guess we'll just jump right in. We've got the co-founder of Netflix, Mark Randolph, on here today. Thanks so much for coming on. Ah, pleasure to be here. So we're just talking about public speaking, obviously. <laughs> uh, continue, continue. We were talking about how, uh, how you've been going through the public speaking trail. Yeah, and I can't remember exactly where I was with, uh, with it. Pleasing 40,000 people <laughs> and all that. Yeah. Oh, you can't, yeah, you can't get 100% right. But, you know, the author I was saying is that the work that I do, if you want to call it that, my purpose right. is I'm trying to unlock people. Yeah. You know, because everybody has these dreams. Everyone. They have something they want to accomplish. And so many of them lock it away in their heads. Yeah. And I've convinced, I'm convinced that almost everybody, if you can, give them the right tools, can take a step. Mm. And so when I go in and do these speeches, I have an hour. And listen, if I have a big audience, if I have, I, mean, I think the one on Friday, I think is uh, 2,000 people. Wow. So a lot of them, I'm, I'm not going to make any impact on. They're not going to take their idea and make it happen no matter if I 
held a gun to their head. Yeah. And then some of them are have this idea and they will make it happen. But there's enough people in the middle that I can shift them a little bit. Enough right. to go, oh, okay, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And that is what you do it for. Mm. And people come up to me every single time I speak, and it's always the same thing, which is, oh, this is awesome. I'm really inspired. I've had this idea, and I've been thinking about and you know, you've convinced me I'm just going to try it. Mm. That's what you want. Wow. That's what you can, want. They can tell you right away just from hearing that speech. They can come up to you and tell you because direct I, feedback. I tipped them. It didn't take a lot. Right. They wanted to, but they were scared. They thought, oh, I need to raise money. You know, you don't. Mm. Oh, I need to have a computer science degree. No, you don't. Oh, I've got to be in Silicon Valley. No, you don't. Yeah. I mean, they all have some reason why, oh, no, starting a business or making some idea happen is not something that happens to me. Right. It happens to this mythical person I saw on Shark Tank. Mm-hmm. And you go, no, yeah. you, know, you have it within you. It's, you know, listen, I've been doing this for 40 years, and the fundamental thing you learn is it's not some crazy magic. Yeah. These are skills that are fundamental and easy to learn, and it's so attitudinal. Not, yeah. it's not, you don't go to business school to learn this stuff. You do it by trying it. Do you ever get pushed up because... The, the the thing the thing that they're comparing to with you when they think of you of course is is Netflix which is just a behemoth in itself so do people have any pushback on that saying like oh I can't build a Netflix I mean that's just that sure seems like a different and planet. You, of course you can't yeah. and you shouldn't uh, if you're aspiring to that as your level of success right that's like saying I don't want to you know I'm here down we're here down in L A yeah I don't want to be an actor unless I'm going to be getting $10 million a picture and winning the Academy Award. Right. Well, don't waste your time. It's just yeah. not, it happens to one person a year. Right. Out of 10,000 people. If you love performing, if you love taking on characters, if you love interpreting, be an actor. It's fantastic. Right. But if, you, if your reasons for doing the same thing for being an entrepreneur, yeah. if you think you're doing this because you want to create a huge company like Netflix, it's not going to happen. And when I started Netflix, I never envisioned that this no is way. what happened. And it's not the reason I did it. I just wanted to solve a problem. Yeah. I just wanted to make this ridiculous idea of video rental by mail um, a reality. I wanted, you know, in the first month, I wanted 150 orders. Uh, that was your benchmark. Yeah, yeah I wanted in the first year to be the size of a single blockbuster. Mm. And there's 9,000 blockbusters, or there was then anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, God. you know, the, the, you, you can't... Oh, here's a great one, since we're, we're, we're talking kind of yeah, startup on. inspiration. So, um, if you think... You look at the mountain and you go, God, it's 29,019 feet or whatever Everest is. Yeah. You never will start. It's insurmountable, and you can't even see all the the route. You you have no idea. But (coughs) you don't need to do the whole thing. You take, you start. You go, you go. See that first little hill? I can do that. Mm. And you go to the top of the first hill, and then you go, okay, that was hard, but I'm here. Now you look and you do it again. And every company's like that, right? And Netflix was like that. Like I yep. said, we, we did get to 150 subscribers, like in the first uh, orders in the first day. Oh, first so day. we okay. exceeded our target. And then we did pass the single blockbuster. And then you look up and you go, oh, my God, there's 9,000. And you claw your way. And then, you know, 10 years later, you become as big as Blockbuster was right. back then. And you look back, you're like, holy crap. Yeah, we and then just you look up that? and you go, oh, my God, there's HBO. And then you pass HBO and you look up and you go, oh, my God, there's Comcast. I mean, now there's Disney Plus. But. Yes, that's <laughs> yeah. the point. Or Amazon. Or, I mean, or Amazon, yeah. There's, um, it, y- 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 if you start said, I'm going to start a company that's going to take on Amazon, yeah. you, know, you need a head examined. I mean, speaking of Amazon, take us back to 1995. Who would have a company that tried to bring shopping on the web when there was an Amazon? I it's mean, crazy. It's kind of crazy. It's it? crazy. And, and, <laughs> and looking back, you know, almost 25 years later, 25 years before in 1995, Talk us about that moment when they were looking to purchase you guys for I think it was like fifteen million or so something. Yeah, like that's that. what we expected. Yeah, so yeah. this was this was um, it was actually in the summer of nineteen ninety eight. Right. Netflix launched in uh, April of nineteen ninety eight, so it was two months after launch. Wow. And I think the uh, 
Amazon IPO is in 1996 or something like that, or 97, but right around that same time. Yeah. And back then, if you can believe it, they only sold books. What a crazy, crazy thing that idea. was. Um, but they were the pioneers of e-commerce, more than the pioneers. They were right. the golden shining example of what the web could be for selling things. Hmm. Now, as opposed to Netflix, which was doing this ridiculous thing called renting videos by mail. You know, we mailed DVDs in that little red envelope. Yeah. And, th- you know, the reason that the book is called That'll Never Work is because every single person that I told that idea had the exact same reaction, which <laughs> is that'll never work. I mean, including my wife. Wow. When I came home after having that idea, I, and she goes, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. So no one thought it was going to happen. And... We persevered. You know, Reed wrote the check, and I started the company and hired the people and built the website, and we launched this thing, and we got it to launch, and we were about two months in, and it was not working very well. Yeah. So that's my preamble. So then we get the call from Amazon saying, you know, Jeff would like to see you. Hmm. And we're going, this is awesome, because on one hand, um, Amazon is the leader. The, they're the golden, the golden boy of mm. uh, e-commerce. And this is an idea of ours that everyone said will never work. But Jeff Bezos sees something in it. Hmm. And so it was hugely validating. That, and, so, and we knew that the reason he was calling was because he was only books, but he had made no secret that the aspiration was to be the everything store. Right. And we knew that next was video and music. So he go, we flew up to um, Seattle, and uh, we had, this is a long time ago, and Reed Hastings, a business partner, you know, we were there together, and, and we had printed out a map from MapQuest, <laughs> you know, because no cell phones, no GPS. Some people still use MapQuest, yeah. Yeah, we had a MapQuest little map, and we're navigating, in, and we're, we're going, this is going to be cool. We're going to see the headquarters of Amazon, and we're going are we in the right place? I mean, we're in this dangerous-looking neighborhood, and there's people literally shooting up in the doorway, and there's broken windows, and there's garbage in the street. And then we see the building, and it's an old, dumpy warehouse, and the windows are dirty. And we go inside, and there's not even a receptionist, and there's boxes on the stairs. They're a public company at this point. They're a public company at this point. And we go in, and everyone's sitting at desks, Made out of old doors, on four on four by four wooden legs, with the little hole where the uh, doorknob was yeah. patched with a piece of wood. Oh my god! So, so part of us are going. This is the golden boy of uh, e-commerce. So it was kind of interesting. But then when I, I asked Jeff, uh, "What's hey Jeff? What's with the doors?" Um, and it was a great, interesting answer because he said. It's a way of showing every single person in the company that we don't spend money on things that don't directly impact the customer. Mm. So kind of this notorious frugality um, until it came time to doing the right thing for the customer. Did you feel the employees there appreciated that as well? Yes. They, they were yeah. passionate. You could tell. They were on a mission. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, they were jammed in there. Damn. Um, but anyway, so we, we so when Reed and, I, and at the end of the meeting, the CFO walked us out, and she said, um, "Listen, this is interesting, and I, but I do need to set expectations that if we go forward with this, we're probably thinking in the low eight figures." And okay. you're, you're calculating how many is, is that? That's in the, that would yeah. be the tens of millions of dollars, right? And when someone says low eight figures, what they really mean is barely eight figures. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we go, okay, that's probably that means. 14 to 16 million dollars right if that if yeah. that and i uh yes and i owned about a third of the company at that point because this was pre-vc right and uh i was going that would be pretty good payday for a year's work yeah but it was that perfect moment where we thought that we'd solved all the hard problems we'd managed to build a simple e-commerce website the type of website that someone could get via Shopify in right. about uh, 30 seconds. Yeah. 
uh, it took us six months to do that. Hmm. You know, we had to build our own payment system because there was no PayPal. We had to build our own analytics because there was no Optimizely and Looker and all those things. Wow. So um, we thought we had solved it. We launched this website. I had endured months in the wilds of New Jersey convincing the consumer electronics company to put a uh, three free DVD rental coupon in the boxes of DVD players being sold. And we weren't quite ready to hand the keys over to uh, to Jeff Bezos at that point. Hmm. So you know, anyways, it was a commitment ceremony for, uh, for Reed and I. Would, he, would there have been a number that you guys were discussing before where they said, if they, if they give us this amount, we'll take it? No, we never, again, this is an idea that everyone said will never work. Hmm. And so I don't think we even had envisioned the idea that we could sell it. So this was more like, wow, let's see what, let's see what he says. Right. Um, it, you know, luckily, the timing was good because the interesting question to ask would be, we were only about a month away from closing the first v- venture-funded round. And if we had had the VC in that conversation, it could have gone two entirely different ways. Yeah. Because either they could have said, oh, my God, I cannot believe I funded this stupid thing. This is <laughs> my <it>. chance. <laughs> Get me out. Get me out, yeah. But it also could have been, they could have, Jeff Bezos could have said $30 million, and, and then the VC could have said, no, I need 10x on my money. Right. Or whatever. You know, you know the, the saga yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Gotcha. So if anything, this was a fuel to the fire for you guys because here you are, failing you guys weren't really sure where the next step is and now you've got this validation from jeff bezos who you highly respect and now this is like go time exactly right there's nothing like convincing you that you're on the right track than having someone else try and buy it from you gotcha it's like wow if someone else wants it then maybe i don't want to sell it right right well here's something that i guess maybe some people don't know is that netflix was actually your sixth company <laughs> yeah so this is not your first rodeo you you saw the patterns you know what it's like to be acquired doing the MAs. yes so you recognize just by jeff calling you that this is going to be an acquisition call and there was something interesting here that he saw as well yeah i mean it, it was pretty much a classic make or buy on uh, Amazon's part. Yeah. I mean, Amazon knew they were going to go into video. And they knew that they would have to build a data, a content database. There was no IMDb, you know. Right. They built a content database of all the movies, which we had. They would have to acquire a team of people who actually could put together editorial content about movies, which we had. They would probably want to have some partnerships with DVD manufacturers and relationships with Hollywood which we had. So mm. they were saying, well, this could probably jumpstart the entry. Yeah. I think that's what, this wasn't so much like we want we wanted to do something crazy like doing DVD rental through the mail. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. God. So what, what was the next step? Talk to us a little bit about, you know, you obviously the first person you had to convince was, was Reed, who is your business partner. Right. How did he first take it when you explained well, it? The thing is that this was not, um, two things. It was not my first rodeo, as you put it. Yeah. Um, and also the first half of my career, before I even got to Silicon Valley, was I was a junk mail guy. I was a direct marketing person. Ah, okay. I did magazine subscriptions. I did a <laughs> lot of personalization work with direct marketing. I had, I had two mail order companies, so I knew a lot about mailing things back and forth. So, yeah. you know, all these se- the seeds of Netflix in some way were pl- planted 20 years before uh, Netflix came along. Sure. But... At the time, in the this is now the sp- spring of 1997. Yeah, um, the internet was just starting to get traction. Uh, e-commerce was just starting to happen with Amazon demonstrating you could actually sell things pretty compellingly on the internet. Sure. And so, I, with my direct marketing background, was going, "Oh my gosh, this!" And my catalog experience, I go, "This is e-commerce is the thing." Mm, you so knew. my next company, selling something on the internet. And if I can do personalization, a bonus. Mm. And so the ideas that we were pitching, that I was pitching to read, were all over the place, but they had common denominators. Like one of them was a personalized shampoo. <laughs> yeah, well, don't you laugh. This is a genius <laughs> idea. No, I mean, it's a genius idea. <laughs> so you, <and> you, <laughs> you 
cut off a lock of your hair <laughs> and you mail it to us and we form we, we analyze it and we formulize a custom shampoo just for you which wow. you then subscribe to and it arrives once a month and I could even picture the label with your name on it and all that kind of stuff whoa yeah and the benefit of that is like not generic shampoo isn't made for every everyone's hair right exactly right you're you're, in the, you're looking at the shelves this is one made just for you unlike anyone else oh wow you know whatever the other one was um Dog food, Dumb. individually formulated for your pet, based on the breed, the age, the weight, the gender, right. the climate, whatever. I yeah. would figure some. You like the personalization figure some stuff. shit out, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's, we subscribe to it. Uh, another was uh, I was looking into uh, uh, what are they called CRC, but you know computer controlled milling machines because right. I wanted to do custom baseball bats. <laughs> See, I had all, see, and it was everywhere, huh? They were everywhere, but they're not yeah. everywhere. These are all personalization. In a lot of them are subscription. Zone. A lot right. of them were, they're all selling things on the internet. And one of them was video rental by mail, yeah. which was a bad idea because in that time, which was spring of 1997, there was, everything was on VHS cassette. Oh. You know, the, you, I guess you probably watched Lion King 600 <laughs> times <laughs> yeah, on, yeah. The, on the VHS cassette. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and it didn't work. You know, I, I, I knew I could make one call to my contacts at Federal Express from my catalog days, and they go, $36 a shipment or something, and I go, not going to happen. Not going to work. So discarded along with the uh, shampoo and the dog food until about two months later, um, the DVD was announced. Mm. It was still in test market. And we were talking about the DVD, and, you know, it's obviously you know what a DVD is, the thin and light and a movie yep. on it. And it was that feeling that you may have get when you're cleaning up and you find under the couch the little jigsaw puzzle piece. Mm. And you immediately recognize, oh, my God, that's the piece that would complete this puzzle I was working right. on before. Because it's lighter, obviously, so the shipment's cheaper. It's, it's yeah. perfect. It's so, it's, there's a lot of attractive things about video rental by mail. I mean, mm. an $8 billion category and an entrenched competitor with like a 70% market share that people hated. Right. And you always want to compete against a competitor. People that people everyone hate. hates, yeah. But um, the barriers were the size of the device thing, the cost, and the DVDs instantly flipped it all. Mm. And then, and here's the key part. You know, this is the, I think we started off talking, I'm not sure there was uh, before or after we started recording. Yeah. Was about, um, you got to you got to try something you got to do something you don't want to think about it you don't want that barrier being blocked yep and rather than writing a business plan or rather than putting together a pitch deck or even just brainstorming for weeks we said let's figure out the basic premise here mm. and so we drove back to santa cruz where reed lived in santa cruz too and we went to a used music store because we there was no dvds yeah and bought a used music cd and then went a few doors down and bought a little pink gift envelope, like you put a greeting card in. Yeah. And put the CD in the envelope and put a stamp on it and mailed it to Reed. And it got to his house in less than 24 hours for wow. the price of a first-class stamp. Wow. And that's Which is how much at that time? Uh, 34 cents or something like okay, that. Okay, so it went from $34 to <laughs> $0.34. Cents. Correct. Wow. And that and And... Because of the deep subsidies that go into the U.S. post office, it was fast. Right. I mean, you know, from a central location, yeah, all the Bay Area was a single day. Right. But we go, wow, most of the West Coast is two days. And for us, we were going, that's amazing. We were thinking mm. it was going to have to be a week or something like that. So, boom, and off we go. Gotcha. Um, but then six months later, so then Reed writes a check because he was not going to work for the company. I mean, from he was, day one, he, from he, day one, he was, he was clear about be, that. He was okay. the angel, in, yeah. He had other things. He was going to go back to school, uh, get a higher degree in education, uh, but he had a um, he wanted to keep his hand in the, the startup game. So he said he would write the check, be the angel investor, mm. which he did. He wrote the check for one point nine million dollars, and then I went and um, hired a dozen people. I leased this old bank building because mm. it was the cheapest thing I could find. It disgusting carpeting yeah it had the safe in the uh oh it still had corner. that yep <laughs> too expensive to bring out and we used that for the the warehouse all Perfect. the dvds we stored in the warehouse yeah. we all brought in our own furniture we had beach chairs because we couldn't afford chairs gotcha. i mean it was it was the basil style it was yeah in fact, yeah, yeah one time my um my wife comes in uh for to meet for lunch or something like that and we're talking and, and she, her eyes like shift over my shoulder and she goes Wait, 
Are those our dining room chairs? <laughs> you do what you got to do. You do what you got to do. I mean, I think the whole idea of validating your idea and just starting is such a good advice for any entrepreneur. And I think you talked about this where your first mentor, one of your biggest mentor, Peter Godfrey, I believe, right, exactly. gave you this advice where you were working at Mac user and you're, this is before Netflix, obviously, so your initial gut feeling was to purchase this heavy infrastructure and go by validating it that way. But his whole thing was like, it's okay to lose money on each sale. So t- talk to us a little bit about, because it's so important for entrepreneurs not to go through this entire mountain to validate their idea. Yeah, you know, use, doing it briefly in startup talk, and then we'll, we'll do English language. In English language, yeah. You know, they, uh, they say the definition of a startup is a company, uh, a group of people in search of a repeatable, scalable business model. And so everyone's looking for this repeatable, scalable business model, but it doesn't need to be repeatable or scalable at the beginning. Yeah. And that's the key thing. And what when we were launching the mail order company, the story you're referring to is I was set, I was setting up the fulfillment system and I go, we're going to need to process orders. And back then, this is even, God, I wish we had the internet <laughs> when you wanted to pr- run mail order processing software, you had to do it on a mini mainframe. Wow. I mean, this thing cost, you know, a million dollars. Um, and I was all saying, putting together the, what it was going to cost us to launch this thing, and there's a mainframe. And Peter Godfrey, who was kind of a mentor to me mm. as an um, entrepreneur, he goes, why don't we just have a contract fulfillment do it? And I said, because what they're going to charge us is probably about two times what our margin is. So we're going to lose tons of money in every order paying right. their fees. He goes, no, but that, you don't understand. He goes, Fine. We will lose money on every order, but we're going to find out all the dynamics of the business. Right. We're going to find out what our average order size is, what our acquisition cost is, what our customer repeat rate is. Right. And if things are looking good, then we'll invest in the infrastructure to bring the cost down to the reasonable level. Gotcha. But this is a really cheap way to find out. Mm. And it was like such a, it was like a light, it was like everything went in the Wizard of Oz from black and white to color. It was wow. like, oh, and it completely changed my perspective on that. And that, and that's why the going down and mailing the DVD is the perfect example. Right. Like, well, we should test this. We better build a website. We better get a thousand deep. No. What's a, how can you do this without actually doing it? Mm. We can't figure out whether we can mail a DVD because there aren't any DVDs. Fine. We'll use something else. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Gotcha. And yeah. was there a secondary validation step once you hit a real customer? How did you go about making sure actual strangers that you've never met? Oh, yeah. This is, I mean, there's a, there's a million steps that you, you go through from that point on. Yeah. But what's interesting is that back then, in the, back in the old days, yeah. um, it was a real problem that you couldn't just dial up a Shopify. Mm. You couldn't add in a PayPal. You, you couldn't go up in the cloud to get the servers. You had to build everything yourself. And so there was some fundamental things you just could not test um, without actually doing it. Doing it. And yeah. back then, 20 years ago, 22 years ago, the, the distance from idea to validation, in our case, was six months yeah. and a million dollars. And because of that, there's a, a very much higher level of scrutiny. Mm. And in this case, it was because this, they go, well, who's doing this company? Well, Mark, yeah. who's done five others, and Reed, who just finished uh, starting a company which had a big IPO, mm. one of the most successful IPOs Pretty good at the time yeah. in Silicon Valley. So, yeah, but, that, but no way on earth would it have been, yeah, I just graduated with an undergraduate degree in geology. <laughs> and, you know, now, someone go, yeah, I dropped out of high school, uh, yeah. but I've, I've had a chance to validate my idea, and I know what my acquisition cost is, and I know what my repeat rate is, my average order size. And, yeah. <laughs> well, well, now you now you advise entrepreneurs out there in the landscape today, which is complete shift, right? So there is some I don't know if there's like an advantage in that before when you wanted to do your own company, there was some barriers to entry, right? It cost a lot of money, it took a lot more time. So people that actually had the guts and some sort of validation were the ones that 
were able to take that first step. Now you have Shopify, you can start a free trial and it costs you $29 a month and you can get off the ground and running. But there's a lot more competition now because anyone can go out there and start their own business. So how do entrepreneurs today navigate that scene and how do they differentiate themselves so that you know, they can't compete because now anyone can start a business. True, but uh, I come at it a different way. Okay. I think it's fantastic the fact that you can start things up immediately and try them. Because, yes, if you go, my idea is to sell T-shirts. Well, that's not novel. Right. You know, you're right. There's a million people who are doing that. Or you go, no, mine are do, yeah. You've got to do something a little bit more out there. Hmm. But... If you have an idea that involves selling something that has never been sold before, that's the stroke of insight. Hmm. And but then you don't need to worry about the managing your back end and managing the uh, all the stuff that Shopify manages, for example. Right. I mean, which takes huge amounts of complexity out of it. You don't need to be uh, worrying about do you have sufficient bandwidth and do you have redundancy and do you have a security and do you have a payments and are you validating your zip codes? You know? <laughs> yeah. You're thinking, I had this really cool idea of selling something a little bit differently and I can focus on that. But listen, it's not, it, it's harder to do a breakthrough in an area because you're right. There's it's, it's cause it's so easy. Yeah. You now do have the 10,000 monkeys banging on the, or whatever that analogy is, 10,000 <laughs> typewriters. Yeah. Um, but I think it's great because we got one shot at it. Yeah. You know, we go, our idea is video rental by mail, and it took six months, hmm. and then we tried it. And then we were kind of in. Yeah. Uh, but now you could try 50 things in, uh, in a week. Yeah. And that's Which the is beauty. Awesome. That's mm. the beauty. Or, you know, if you have one idea, you can take 50 different swings at it in a week mm. for $500. It's just so, so much easier. I think it's a very positive thing. Yeah. The distance from the idea to the validation is not six months, it's six hours, and it's right. not a million dollars, it's a hundred dollars. Is there, uh, just given how many businesses you've started, how many ideas you've thrown around with Reed and previous companies you've started, is there a specific criteria you look for, especially now in this competitive landscape where everyone's selling t-shirts, shoes, <laughs> you know, they're just putting a fancy spin to selling suitcases. How do people... Uh, what are the validations, you know, if an entrepreneur came to you today, is there a specific... So what am I looking for in them? In them and also the idea, the idea itself that checks so marks. I, I don't know what the rating is for the podcast, but the ideas don't... I don't, I don't care about... Yeah, I'll be polite. I'll use the PG. You don't have to be polite. <laughs> yeah. um, ideas don't count for anything. Yeah. I don't care about your idea. Your idea is wrong. I guarantee it. It's a right. bad idea. Um, all ideas are bad. I've, I've, I've realized that. And your job as an entrepreneur is to figure out why it's bad. Hmm. And as long as you have it sitting up in your head, oh, it's fantastic up there. It's all right. protected and nestled and defended and you're giving it all the positive inputs. And of course, it's a great idea in your head. Get it out of your head. Let's find out what's wrong with it. I know it's a flaw. Let's figure out what the flaw is. So I'm, not, I'm telling you that because I'm not looking for the idea. I don't care about the idea. My eyes glaze over the more time you spend telling me how beautiful your little baby idea is. <laughs> what I'm looking for is how clever are you as an entrepreneur in figuring out a quick and cheap and easy way to validate that idea? Yeah, it's actually That's opposite. That's genius. Though. That is. And it, I think most people, as a human nature, we have this confirmation bias, right? Which is like, we have an idea and we think it's good in our head. So our natural instinct is to look at press or Google and friends or, or our moms who love to say that our ideas are great. And the whole point is like, you, you fear being rejected, right? You don't want to be wrong. So. Yeah. Most entrepreneurs, I think, as you mentioned, make that mistake of like trying to find evidence of why something's right. But you're saying complete opposite. You're saying look for why it could be wrong. But and don't just look. In, but to stop, don't look. Act. Right. I don't want you to think about what's wrong could be wrong. I don't care about that either. The you have to collide it with a real customer if mm. it's something you're selling. You have to figure out some way to get real, true, honest, external validation 
mm. about your idea. And I guarantee you'll be disappointed because all those things you had built up in your head, you're going to realize were wrong. Right. But that's the start. That's where it begins. And so what am I looking for? I'm looking for the person who is going, I have this idea, and I figured out a really clever way to figure out, to test it. Right. And I'm looking for someone who has the predisposition to action as opposed to the person, and I call it building a castle in your head because you start out with a little idea and then it gets bigger and now you add a wing and then you put on a tower and then gargoyles and turrets and the swimming pool. And then you go, I, I, I go, well, what are you waiting for? Well, God, it's, it's going to cost me millions of dollars to try right. this. Right. Of course it will. The key so, is to find a bank with a warehouse and just start there with the safe, right? Yeah, just, just, just do, do it. So it's, I'm looking for someone who's clever about how they're going to validate it. I'm looking for someone who's predisposed. The first thought is not pitch deck, business plan, shark tank. The mm. first thought is how do I get my idea? And listen, since, this is, since I think your audience is kind of entrepreneurial, yep. thinking about businesses, I'll give you a concrete example. And this is um, a woman and her idea where she's going, wouldn't it be cool if uh, we could do peer-to-peer clothing sharing? Like I have mm. all these stuff in my closet that I don't wear, wear once. But I know I have friends who have other great stuff. Wouldn't it be great if we could just kind of go onto a website and see all the stuff that, and then share with each other? Mm. And she goes, I'm going to test this. I wanna, where do I find a computer science person to help me code? the? How do I get the money? Yeah. And I go, no, 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 no. Let's, let's figure out some basic things. You can test this idea with a piece of paper and a magic marker. I go right on a piece of paper, need to borrow clothes, knock, and put it on your door. And let's find out some basic things. Let's see if anyone knocks. Mm. Okay, first test. Now, if someone knocks and you lend them something, what happens? Are there size problems? Are there taste problems? Is your assumption that someone's going to actually see something in your closet they might want true? Now, let's say the next thing that those first two things are true. Let's say they do borrow stuff. What condition does it come back in? Hmm. How do you feel about that? What kind of cleaning was required? I mean, do this for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And you can do that for zero dollars. Mm. And then when you come to me and you say, I have this great idea, and I say, how do you know it's a great idea? That is what makes a fundable business. Gotcha. Is gotcha. when someone's been doing that. I, I, can we give another example? Yeah, for sure. Here's a, okay, this is a... Uh, entrepreneur uh, that I knew in San Francisco this a bunch of years ago yeah. and he was um, uh, at a party he's in Soma like it's late at night it's raining and then the thing ha- he's at a party what happens to him happens to everybody that age they ran out of beer and they all begin arguing about whose turn is it to go out in the rain and find an open liquor store and buy the beer yeah. um, and, of course, the entrepreneur, ding, light bulb goes off. This is cool. My phone knows where I am. It knows my taste. has my credit card stored. It can know all the open database of the open liquor stores. Great. I'll hit the button. Beer will show up. Postmates? <laughs> Correct. This is, yeah. this is before that. And um, he goes, well, how do I figure this out? And he did not want to build the app. He didn't want to launch it. He didn't want to the six months of finding a, uh, building a network of stores. Yeah. So the way he hacked it was he got little business cards and he laser printed them with need beer, call me, and his cell phone. Love it. And stood outside the apartment building um, at uh, on Friday and Saturday nights. Whenever someone came in, he handed him a business card and said, if you need beer, call me. Um, and then he'd get in his bicycle, go to the liquor store, buy the beer, put on a Viking costume. Yeah. I know. Did the Go whole up, thing. Did the whole thing. And did and he, and he found that was a terrible idea. <laughs> I mean, all the orders were concentrated over a two-hour time period. Right. Everyone was drunk. There were small average order sizes. There was no repeat business. Right. But he learned that with a business card. Right. Instead of spending $100,000 yes. on developers. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He didn't even, pardon me, Shopify, he didn't even need to... Uh, you know, do any of that. He, yeah. was, he, he launched this with a cell phone and a business card. But by colliding the idea with real people, he bumped into a better idea, mm. which is, you know, someone said, can you deliver to offices? He did that for a bunch of time, and that didn't work either. And then someone said, would you stock my fridge? And gotcha. that ended up being the one that, uh, at home. 
Gotcha. And that ends up being the one that uh, that worked for him. So do you think that's like the this ideal skill set of someone that's just starting? Do you think that's kind of shifted over time where now it's so easy to validate the idea? It's not about having like this technical skill or having the right connections. It's actually about being a scientist and having all of these different hypotheses and being able to test it in a very you know, methodical manner. And that's the real skill set you're saying. Yeah, that's a really interesting observation. I hadn't, I hadn't occurred to you that you're absolutely right. Whereas before, at this level we're talking about. You small know, level, yeah. Small level, yeah, you, it, that is the skill set. And I still think it scales up. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is an advantage if you have a computer science degree. Yeah, <laughs> you know? for sure, for sure. Because then you can figure out how to hack things at a totally different level level right. and you have a better sense of what's possible but for most a lot of people validating these ideas can be done it's that's the skill set now gotcha you're right that's yeah. a, that's an interesting uh yeah interesting it's a thing. different landscape now so yeah. yeah i think people still have that mindset of like i need, i was talking with a friend even who wanted to do this app which is like taking care of uh like a virtual dog or something like that and uh she <laughs> what does this world come to yeah she's she wanted to like her first thought was like, okay, how, how, how much do I have to like pay a developer? And you proved it right there. You know, I don't know how you test something like that, honestly, but I think there are plenty of ways to think like a scientist in that manner. Absolutely. And I would, that'd be the perfect person. When I mentor earlier stage people, um, that's what most of the brainstorming is. Let's figure out, let's exer- do the exercise here. How might we parse apart that problem? Right. Is she worried, can I build an app? No, of course you can build an app. Am I worried about, what is the real element? Mm. And then see, is there a way to make a proxy? Gotcha. It's a, it's a very interesting uh, methodology. And you know, yeah. the reason I wrote the book is that all of these little tips and tricks and secret are not that complicated. And I try and show by how I lived my life and how we did this for Netflix. Yeah. How you do these things, what the mindset is. Um, it's not, a, you know, not an instructional manual. Right. It's a real-life journey, which illustrates how you take an idea. I mean, this, the, the, the book is the, um, um, That'll Never Work, The Birth of Netflix, and The Amazing Life of an Idea. Yeah. Because that's what it's about. It's the starting with an idea, and it goes here and here and here and here and here. And then pretty soon you have Netflix and chill and you go, where did that come from, you know? <laughs> and who knew that would happen, right? I mean, you went through the ups and downs and you, talk, you do talk about in the book. I want to talk about self-awareness because you talk about the moment when this company has kind of outlived the, I guess, the original founder, the original CEO, and Reed comes up to you in the meeting room, gives you a PowerPoint presentation, <laughs> and here you are. I think most CEOs would have flipped out, honestly. I think they would have uh, caused a lot of fuss about it, and naturally so. It's just our human nature. This is your baby. But you were self-aware, and you talk about this, about recognizing your strengths and weaknesses, and you were able to uh, kind of step outside. And obviously, you've had six, five other companies, so you've had that awareness. Uh, Talk a little bit about that experience and how entrepreneurs today can be can develop more self-awareness of outside of themselves. So I'll talk about the experience first. Yes, um, sugarcoated it a little bit. But I know yeah, how, it's how a easy. no. You know, it's a it's a it's a weird moment. You know, because in this case, it was at, it was late. It was probably six or seven o'clock at night. You know, and Reed pokes his head in. And I'm working, and then says, "We got to talk." And that's never a good start to a conversation. And you're right. He did. He did start it off by laying it out to me in a PowerPoint, but I shut that down. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. How long did he get to before oh, you're like, fuck yo, off? Like, two, two slides. And I go, Reed, you are not going to pitch me on how I suck, was I think my, my quote. But, uh, you know, Reed and I have this inc- have always had this incredibly honest um, relationship. We've never had ulterior motives with each other. We've said mm. what we think. And because we have that relationship, I knew that the Reed wasn't, hiding something he was he genuinely was concerned about the company and more particularly about whether i was the right person to lead it right that he was seeing issues at the small size that he was concerned as we grew would become big issues and that this was going to be an idea that required really flawless execution at scale 
And at first, I thought he was firing me. Mm. I mean, he had more stock than I did. It could have been a big battle. But to his credit, what I realized he was proposing was that he joined the company full-time because he was not working at the company at the time, and that we run the company together. I mean, him as CEO, and I'd yeah. be president. Um, and so he wasn't coming in and saying, I'll do this better than you're doing it. The argument was the two of us together is a more likely formula for success than mm. you by yourself. That's the way I pitched it. Yes. Okay. And that was a hard, you know, but with logic, but I mean, here's the sure. issue. Here's the things I see you doing. He was building something called a shit sandwich. <laughs> okay. Talk about this sandwich. We, we start out with, you know, the, the slice of bread, how, listen, you're respected. You've done a lot of great things. Yeah. And then you begin laying down the meat. Right. But there's a bunch of areas that I'm very, very concerned with. And then you kind of lay that out. And then you close with that last slice of bread where you go, but listen, I would be proud to consider you partner, you know, because I respect you so much. So the key is to put it in the middle. Yeah. Put the shit in the middle. Okay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but he, you know, he laid this thing out for me, and it, it, was, it, was, it was well well done. And so the, the, that's why it, wasn't, it, it was hard. It, because the thing is... I, had, of course, had this dream of that I was going to run this big, successful company. And uh, you realize it's actually two different dreams. Mm. There is the dream of the successful company. And then there's the dream of the you running it. Right. And you fundamentally have to go, what's the more important dream here? And more so, you begin to realize that by now, that dream of a successful company wasn't just mine anymore. Every single person that I'd recruited to leave some other job and leave behind great benefits and come to work and chase this crazy idea of video rental by mail, it was now their dream too. Mm. And everyone who'd invested money, it was their dream. And I kind of owed it to them mm. to really do everything I could to make it successful. But the real, you know, I, I wrote That'll Never Work 16 years after I left Netflix. And so I've had a long time to really honestly look back at what happened with me then. Mm. Why was I thinking about it the way I thought about it? And listen, I'm not Superman. Yes, I was bummed. You know, I was disappointed. It took a while to come to grips with how is this going to work? How am I going to explain it to the team? How do I explain it to my family? But what I think I realized is that there was two important things. One is, as you pointed out, I was 38 years old. So I wasn't 22. Yeah. And I had had a number of successes already. So there wasn't this big ego thing that I had to prove myself somehow. Mm. But I think the bigger thing, and this has been there ever since the beginning, is that every company that I've started, that I've been a part of starting, I'm not doing it for the outcome. Mm. I don't start it because I want to be rich or I want to have an IPO. That's not the reason I do it. I do it because I love coming to work every day and solving a problem. Right. And a startup is the ultimate. It's this puzzle that no one's ever completed before. You don't yeah. even know if there is a, a way to complete it. Right. Oh, that is so fantastic. And the leading it part wasn't the important part, the solving the puzzle was the important part. Right. And this was a way to bring in someone to help solve the puzzle. Mm. Was there a process or was there a question you asked internally or maybe your wife asked you <laughs> that allowed you to get to that conclusion that other people can learn from or ask themselves when they're in that position? Yeah, you know, it's a really, it's a, it's the, it's the nature of a startup that when you begin, you need broad generalists. You yeah. need people who can do almost anything because you don't know what's going to be need to be done. And you've only got eight people to do the work of 80. Mm. And everyone is like that, including me, the yeah. CEO. And if you're successful, a really strange things happen, which is that you begin to get big enough, successful enough, you can find people who are way better than you. Yeah, as you should, right? As you should. And there's one really hard challenge in that is when you have to bring in the person who has been your, 
who st- ran marketing from day one, from day negative 365, mm. and has busted, busted her ass and been incredibly loyal and uh, made decisions as if this was her own company. And you have to tell her, I need to bring in someone above you because that's what we need for the next phase of the company. Yeah. That's brutal. What's equally brutal is applying that same lens to yourself. Right. Am I the right person to take this company to the next level? And looking back now, I know, no. For me, no. Hmm. Um, Did you think that back then? I had a pretty good sense of it back then. Anything, listen, like I said before, this was not like all of a sudden read pitches and I go, okay. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's hard emotionally to make that shift. But you make that shift because, again, the honest relationship that Reed and I had with each other, you could also apply it to yourself and say, you know, he's right. Mm. Um, and as I think back, I'll be immodest for a minute. I'm really good as an early stage uh, CEO. Right. As a really good because the skills of the triage and the, uh, the focus and all those things that a startup CEO needs to do. I'm really good at Right. And I'm terrible as a big company CEO. Let's talk about that, actually, because I think most people, when they start a company, their whole point is, okay, I'm going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg or is it Jeff Bezos <laughs> taking it from day one, IPO, billion dollar, multi-billion dollar company. What do you think that, what do you think the skill sets or the characteristics that Reed Hastings has for that's a better fit as a long-term like CEO to take it to scale? I think it's a ridiculous question. It is so rare. Like, so mm. what does Michael Jordan have that other people don't have? I mean, right. it, it's a dated example. Sure. It's so rare. What, well, what does Reed Hastings have? He has the ability to be small and big at the same time. He can simultaneously focus on details and on the big picture. He's dispassionately willing to always sacrifice the past for the future. It means it's this huge collection of things that are yeah. so bizarre. Not are there, that he's bizarre. He's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Same with same with Jeff Bezos. Are and there patterns that stick out to you when you look at these different CEOs? Long term thinking you mentioned. Yeah, I don't like I mean, listen, we can go down the path. I don't like the question because it implies it's something you can aspire to, and I don't mm. think it is. Right. I think it's unreasonable to aspire to that. Mm. I really do. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like, it, what makes, uh, you know. Yeah, it's like, how do you become makes the Michael Close, Jordan? What makes yeah. Glenn Close a great actress? Right. Why is she better? What makes her better than, you know, it, it's like, uh, I don't know. It's, right. There's something freaky about the ability to capture some other person inside you and project yeah. it. And, man, you know, so I, I'm sorry, I'm dodging it. I, the better but way. You saw that in Reed, obviously, so you were, that's why you were happy to step away and. I didn't. I mean, I've seen it at the moment, but yeah. I. I mean, I, it was undoubtedly he was he was talented, and you know he had there. There were some specific things that I, I now I look back and go, oh my god. For, you know, first of all, when we ran the company together, in many ways that was like the renaissance at Netflix. Right, it's amazing things happened with us doing it together, and then I mean, look at what's happened since then. I mean, holy mackerel! What a great great decision on my part. Crazy to do it. And I lost my train of thought, but, but um, <laughs> you know, it's a, uh, uh, oh yeah, so the thing is that there were some obvious things to look at even then, that it didn't yeah. need 16 years of distance to look back at and recognize what was going on. But for one, you know, Reed had just had an IPO for right. his company, you know, Pure. Um, and so he was a known quantity on Sand Hill Road, the VC capital of Silicon Valley. And so um, for a company which would have a almost insatiable need for uh, cash. Right. That was a huge attribute um, to have, that he was trusted in that way. Right. And even though I had a good track record, not at that. Yeah. Not at raising, not at having already generated IPO-level returns for Silicon Valley VCs. Gotcha. I mean, I, I commend you more than anything of being able to have that self-awareness to step outside because both of you were equally skilled and very credible. So it, it must have been a very difficult decision to decide to step away. 
Yeah, it's it's it, but it sure sure worked out. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so now you spend a lot of time, of course, advising entrepreneurs, and I've heard that the role that you want to play is not necessarily just giving money or even startup advice, but it's actually being a more of a personal mentor when things get lonely as an entrepreneur. There's things that no one really talks about. So talk to us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, the you know the um the thing that I've kind of realized about um, success is that it, I don't believe, as I said before, it's not the outcome. It's the things you do every day. And I figured out pretty early on what I was good at and what I really enjoyed doing. And mm. it's the same thing for both startup stuff. Right. I just love that problem solving piece of it. And so when I, um, when I left Netflix was at the point it had kind of stopped being a startup yeah and even though i love the company of course the problems i was solving i was not necessarily very good at anymore nor did i particularly like it that much and so i'm going i don't need to do that so i wanted to get my fix i didn't want to start another company mm. and so the methodology that what i came up with was that i would be a mentor but i i call it almost a deep mentoring where i learn enough about the people and their co-founders, and their family, and their employees, and their product, and their market, and their competition, enough so that my advice is not superficial, and mm. it's not pattern recognition. It's when they have a problem, I can genuinely wade in as if I worked at the company, and get back that feeling of being in a startup, mm. of that sitting around the table with the really smart people solving the really interesting, hard problems. Right. And... The interesting thing is that I expected that the things that I'd be helping people with were things like uh, go-to-market strategy or debt versus equity, or and it's not. It's hmm. so I, it's almost more like marriage counseling in a way. It's I'm spending all this time with a co-founder. How are we're having problems working together? Right. I need to bring on a board. I don't know quite right way to evaluate who to have join the board. Yeah. Or even things as simple as I have to run a board meeting. And not only have I never run a board meeting, I haven't even been to a board meeting. Right. So. It's all the in-betweens. And, you know, I'm worried about my relationship with my spouse because of how hard this is. And I don't know how to allocate time between the two and prioritize properly. Right. I mean, it's. And, you know, that, again, it's the reason I wrote the book was to give people this honest version of what it is, what goes into that startup journey and mm. the path of an idea and the path of an entrepreneur. Um, and a lot of it is not debt versus equity and go-to-market strategy. It is. How do you balance life and business? You know, how do you build that team? How does the cult- where does the culture come from? Right. All those things. Yeah, it's stuff that you're not really taught, you know, yeah. you, until you go through it and having someone like yourself. So, I mean, it's, it's, if someone that's listening as an entrepreneur, obviously they can't all just come to you. So how do they find someone similar? What do they look for? Is it like a life coach? Is it like a, like a business coach that's there that's not going to give you fundraising advice or, you know, anything else, but it's more like almost like a psychologist, right? Yeah, I, I think that... So, for someone who's already running a business looking to bring someone in, um, it's vulnerability. Hmm. Nobody wants to come in and give advice to someone who already thinks they know all the answers. And that's not, an, that's not a bad thing because since everyone is telling you that'll never work, you have to have this ridiculously rich reservoir of confidence yeah. that you're right. Otherwise, you would have given up long ago. But you need to have that second piece, which is recognize there are other very valid viewpoints which you need to assimilate with your own. Mm. And when you're sitting and asking someone for help, they can tell to what degree you're really listening and want to understand their viewpoint. You don't need to do it. Uh, And I don't know if that's universal. It's what I look for. Right. I want that self-confidence, but are you listening? Mm. Um, for people who are just starting out, and I was, I, you know, I've had mentors 
probably three different people who I've been able to work closely with, watch them, and learn from them. So for people who are earlier in their career, my advice is even simpler, which is to find the smartest person you know who will take you seriously and then do anything they ask. Mm. And the value of being close to someone who knows what they're doing, regardless of what you're doing, you're learning so much and watching someone good Just do osmosis. it. Yeah. Absolutely. That's the ultimate of a beautiful, beautiful. Of a, uh, way to learn. Well, I just want to thank you so much for, for being on and for being honest, honestly, about the ups and downs of what it's like really to take a business from from zero to nothing uh, and all the way to the successful company that Netflix is. So can people tell, uh, can you tell people where they can find you, the book and social media, anything that you would like to promote? I will take any opportunity to uh, pimp myself out that way. <laughs> uh, so I'm on Twitter at MB Randolph. Okay. Uh, the Instagram is that will never work. A great place to find out additional resources, including a way to contact me, which I will promise you that I'll read, um, as well as links to find the book if you can't find it on Amazon, is uh, my website, which is uh, www.markrandolph.com. Beautiful. All one big word. And the book is That'll Never Work, The Birth of Netflix and the Amazing Life of an Idea. Available now at all places where books are sold. Good radio voice here. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for listening, guys. And thanks so much, Mark, for being on. My pleasure. Thank you, too. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. Did we get it right on battery? Yeah. Yeah, I saw you. I saw your sentence. I was like, all right, let's get it on time. Yeah. You get me started. You can't do it. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the show. Hope you really enjoyed our guest today and that you took one thing valuable from our conversation. If you haven't already, I would love it if you could leave a quick rating or review on whichever network you're listening to the show and share this episode with one friend if you found it valuable. And if it's something that a friend, a family member, or just someone that you care about could find a little bit of insight from what you learned today. All right. Ciao.